three. Hey guys, this is What Mean. I am Alex, and I have two special guests today. I have, um, I'll let you guys just introduce yourselves. I am Feech, and my name is Tony Curtis. Yeah, they're from um, a podcast called Bro Meets World, and you guys aren't doing movie makeover anymore, right? Well, we we're, are. We're, it's just on a hiatus at the moment. We're taking a sabbatical from Movie Makeover. But yes, we do have two podcasts, one of which is called Bruh Meets World, in which myself and Siege, being men of color, naturally review every episode of the 90s sitcom Boy Meets World. Um, and, and we get into the nitty gritty of it. I'm talking <laughs> Sean, Feeney, <laughs> Topanga. We get into the nooks and crannies. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, that might be for you. We also have a second podcast called Movie Makeover in which we talk about movies and how to make them better, uh, which might be more uh, of a skill set that we will use for this podcast since we're talking about a, a movie, which I think doesn't need much help to get better. Right, exactly. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and um, say what I thought about it, I think, or just like a kind of um, starting off point. Um, watching this movie... Uh, I'm glad. I know, TC, you said you didn't watch the uh, trailer because the trailer literally gives, like, most of the best parts of the movie away. And, like, rewatching it, I kind of hate that because, like, some of the best parts in the movie, like, I hate when trailers do that, but they reveal, like, some of the twists. And um, one of my favorite parts about this is that, like, every character you see, you think that you know where they're going to go. And then, like, as the movie goes on, you see, like, they're either not who they say they are or, like, in certain characters' cases, they try to act like they're all tough and everything. And then you can actually see who they really are, and they're kind of pathetic, like, uh, I guess, Anton Yelchin's character. But, um, yeah, I really like this movie. Um, it's really well put together, really well written. It kind of reminds me of... Um, the social network, I guess, in terms of, like, writing. It's very, like, quick, like, witty. The dialogue. I thought the same thing about the dialogue. You know, like, I think, like, the, I, I was watching this, and I kept turning to my fiancé, and I was like, is this a play? Is this a stage play or a book or something? It was written <laughs> to be a play. Yeah, because it really is just, like, few characters, mostly these two girls having these long dialogue sequences. And so, yeah, it did definitely give me, like, a social network. Like, if... if uh, you know, we had like a social network rendition of Heather's kind of right. vibe. <laughs> Did you make that Heather's connection on your own? Because it was actually advertised as like a modern telling of Heather's. And I have such a problem with that advertising because Heather's tells a completely different story. And to me, this is a, a story about a better subject matter, which is white female privilege. Um, and I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just I kind of noticed that too, like on a rewatch. I know your guys' podcast, Bro Meets World, definitely has opened my eyes to some of uh, Corey's uh, white privilege that he has going on. And so like I've definitely had more of an eye out for stuff like that. And just, yeah, like some of the characters in this movie definitely give off that privilege like vibe, especially the um, girl who um, is friends with, I think her name's Lily in the movie um she definitely gives off a vibe of like she's been handed everything so like the moment like something in her life is kind of like not something she likes she immediately wants to get rid of it or just kind of avoids it like she's not a very good person absolutely are we allowed to spoil on this oh yeah it was full spoiler uh, review 
Okay, so if you'll give me a moment, I can't wait to give you my theory about what this is about, and then we can discuss it. Okay. Which is, okay, from the title, from the very title in the beginning, it's called Thoroughbreds. And if you know anything about Thoroughbreds, they are purebloods that are bred for greatness. And our main character, Lily, is just that. She's the only student that we see who's literally bred for this world. And she does everything in her power to maintain that status. All the other characters, Amanda, um, the... Um, the drug dealer yeah the drug dealer (laughs) even the stepfather they're not of this world they're not of her world she was literally born into this and bred for greatness and she will do anything to maintain that purity and to her everyone else is disposable because they aren't thoroughbreds and it's amazing because there's so many analogies to the they they shoot horses don't they which is this old movie that um like kind of turns the idea of murder as sympathy on its head. Um, And pretty much that's what Lily does. She sacrifices Amanda for her own needs, but she, she does so as a tale of giving Amanda an out. You know what I mean? Right. And um, there's just so many things and so many like points that I can point out. And I was like, this isn't Heather's. This isn't American Psycho because Heather's is about like the cruelty of high school and American Psycho is about like being numb as part of the machines. But Thoroughbred is purely about being entitled and what entitlement makes of you. Right. I definitely felt that there was a lot of conversations happening about empathy Mm -hmm. and like, you know, this concept that you can really only succeed in life like the biggest hindrance to your success is caring too much about other people and how Mm. american that idea is Mm. and you know your our main character straight up looks at her friend and says does your life even matter i don't think it does and just to have that um you know, flippantness about her quote unquote best friend dying Mm -hmm. um, really shows you how much of, uh, you know, this movie kind of starts with, you know, the main character having all these bottled up emotions that she doesn't get out. And it it seems as, as though the more she gets out, the more she releases of her emotions and exposes herself, the more she exposes herself to be just as much of a psychopath, if not more so than her friend. And her, her getting comfortable with that. There's a great scene where um, they're trying to blackmail the drug dealer played by Alton Yel- Yelchin. Yeah. Um, and they have like a little scuffle with him. And uh, Lily br- uh, breaks a lamp over his head and knocks him out. Amanda and- does that. Amanda does that. I'm sorry. And then, you know, they have this conversation where she says something to the effect of, you know, there's nothing wrong with being kind or evil or anything. The worst thing you can do is just hesitate at a moment where you're supposed to act. Be indecisive. And And that was one of my favorite lines. Yes. (laughs) And that just really just jumped out to me as to like, you know, capitalism in America and just what it means to succeed in this world and what it means for her as the main character to succeed and everything she has to sacrifice to get there. So, yeah, she said the only thing worse than being evil or unkind or any of these other things is being indecisive. And what's interesting, I love that you said that Lily shows herself to be more psychotic because in reality, I think that 
what the movie does is it paints us a picture to where we go in with our own preconceived notions about all these characters. And then it slowly shows us that we were wrong because we are introduced to Lily as this innocent. And at the end, we understand that she's never been innocent. If anything, she has been the mastermind more so than anyone else. I feel that when I watched it, and I thought about it, I think we saw Amanda introducing her to the technique of like manipulation and crying. But I don't think Lily ever needed it because Lily was way better at manipulating people. She literally used Amanda from step one and she used not only our understanding of her, but she understood the importance of reputation. And I say that because she used Amanda's reputation against animal cruelty. She blackmailed the drug dealer with his reputation as a pedophile and a drug dealer. And then she even used the reputation or the um, idea of the evil stepfather to make us look negatively towards him but when i thought about the stepfather's character he actually doesn't do anything that is that paints him as a bad person we only see him because of our own understandings and the stereotypes that we have of the stepfather character but he doesn't do one thing on screen that we can justify is worthy of death yeah, because definitely, like, I, I like that flip that happens, like, halfway through the movie where, like, he has that conversation with her where you think, oh, oh, this guy sucks, like, he deserves to die kind of thing, and then you see him just, like, basically strip her down and just be, like, you're entitled, like, you're spoiled, basically, and, like, you don't understand because you're, like, young or something like that, and you kind of see, like, wow, I've been misled this whole time, this guy, like you said, actually hasn't done much at the most he's kind of dickish to the mom but like that's not really like worthy of killing and also i think that um the whole horse killing at the beginning maybe that's how um lily views maybe what she did with um like amanda i guess maybe she sees it as like a mercy thing like that's i don't know yeah, Hold on. I, there's echo. I don't know what happened. Oh, weird. But yeah, no, you're accurate. And I think that, uh, as you said, the the horse murder in the beginning is exactly how Lily sees it. Because it's seen as, when Amanda did it, she was actually trying to put the horse out of its misery. Again, they shoot horses, don't they? And if anyone's ever seen that movie or has never seen that movie... It ends, I'm spoiling it a little bit, but it ends with a a murder um, and the guy who is caught murdering this other character, he was like, well, I did it to put her out of her misery. I mean, like when horses can't run anymore, don't we shoot them? They shoot horses, don't they? Why would we not do this to this person? So the fact that she has already labeled Amanda as someone whose life is thrown away and this would be the better option for her, she feels justified. Um, and I think that's really um, the nail in the coffin is at the end when we're talking about the letter that Amanda sent. Right. I didn't read it. And I believe her because she she didn't need to read it. She had already used Amanda for what she needed. Right. I, 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 I was just going to say to your point of using her is that I feel as though this entire movie 
was her plan being laid out. And I think us yes. starting with the horse murder wasn't um, an accident because what that does is that I believe, you know, I'm sorry, I keep confusing the two characters. Which one is Amanda? Which one's Lily? Lily is Lily White. She's the one who is supposed to be, uh, yeah, she's supposed to be pure, but she's not. Yes. Okay. So I think Lily had planned this from the beginning. And when she heard about her former best friend murdering a horse, she thought, this is how I can do it. And I feel like the entire time in the beginning when they're tutoring, she's like, why am I here? Why did you contact my mom? What's going on? It's because she understands like, this is weird that we're hanging out. And the only reason is at least at the beginning, we think, oh, she feels bad for her. She wants to connect with her because of this horse incident. But that's not the case. She wants her to bring up killing her stepdad. She wants it to unfold that way. And the whole rest of the, the, the movie has almost this kind of telltale heart type of, um, you know, annoyance between her and her stepdad that are really just minor, minute, um, you know, acts of tension more so than anything that would really cause for death, like you said, and um, very Hitchcockian, just the way the whole murder plot plays out. And um, I, I, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but this movie just really is just like fascinating, at least for my, like watching I it for love the first time. That- I love that you brought up the tall tale heart because it does, it has like the scenes are drawn out and there's, there's like moments of like quiet or extended silence that is just very evident and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable to sit in that. And um, uh, I think a lot of the real gore happens off screen but the real evil happens right in front of our face and i think that that's uh really really important uh to kind of go back to how lily uses these people i think as you said um from the very beginning i didn't notice but you're right lily is the one who invited her over and amanda is like this is weird and this is awkward but because Amanda is self-proclaimed as socially awkward. We assume that she is the one making it uncomfortable without understanding that, no, she's right to acknowledge these things. Very much like when the stepfather um, reads Lily down, she says, you didn't do anything to, Lily says that to Amanda. And she was like, well, he didn't do anything wrong. He's being cocky. That's that's fine. You're fine. You're not in harm's way. Um, He's also just weird because he's like, hey, this girl who I don't know that well, the only thing I know about her is that she just butchered a horse is in my (laughs) living room. Like, I'd be weird about it too. Yeah. And then like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing. Oh, um, and also like another thing I kind of noticed was that Amanda's kind of like a a good friend, like out of everyone in this movie, like she's straight up, like once she finds out like what uh, Lily did to her, like she's straight up, it's like, I'll take the rap for this because this matters so much to you. Like she's sincere with her throughout this whole thing. And it's like up front, unlike Lily, who's straight up, like there's that scene where she's just being like truthful with her, where she's just like, I find you off putting and like, you know, is basically saying, I don't like you. And stuff like I feel like that's the most honest she ever is and kind of shows her hand, basically kind of feeding into what you guys are saying where this whole thing was a plan. 
and like she doesn't really value her i think she's being the most honest when she's just being kind of rude and mean to um amanda basically there's i mean there's a lot of brilliant um visuals to accompany everything we're talking about but one of my favorite moments is when amanda is literally on a chessboard like the pawn of the chess game that she doesn't even realize that she's a part of. And she's just kind of walking around this giant outdoor chessboard, moving the pieces around, not understanding that she's a piece as well. You know that's what I mean? Beautiful. beautiful stuff. I did not notice that, but that's really, I was going to talk about the visuals and, and what else we see because kind of to echo this idea of using other people. One of the things I noticed is when after Lily kills her stepfather she uses amanda's body for comfort you know like amanda's passed out she's not there anymore but she she in that moment she needs to be held so she just uses she literally gets the blood all over her and she kind of in a way messes up the crime scene (laughs) just to give herself a little bit of comfort in what she's just done and it's literally using other people from the very beginning she like she, like Amanda points out, she kind of brings it up out of nowhere or she just kind of like bullies Amanda into saying that she should do it. And then when Amanda says that she sh- they wouldn't do it, she needs to be smarter than that. She ropes in the drug dealer, but he's not buying it. And I think it's just a constant effort of her to use other individuals. And then when they won't do her bidding, she does it, but she still has a backup plan. And as I said, that is to use their reputations against them. Um, I love that you brought up the scene at the end where she's hugging her for comfort, because what I got out of that was that not only was she using, you know, this lifeless body that she she deemed to be lifeless anyway. You know what I mean? Like, that's basically how she saw her the whole time anyway. Um, not only was she using her for that comfort, but I think she was using their fake bond to make herself cry to prepare to make the phone call that would necessarily need to happen for the plan to unravel. Like that crying that she was doing, I think she was reenacting the fake crying that we saw early in the movie, just further um, showing how much of a fucking psychopath this chick is. Right. Absolutely. Like, I think um, one of the things that I noticed if we're talking about like how the movie's set up is we don't actually hear Amanda's name for the first, I'll say first few minutes of the movie. Like we hear Lily constantly, like, Mm -hmm. because the maid is looking for Lily. And what's even more interesting is I noticed when as soon as we are introduced to her lifestyle again this is about the entitlement and the um blue blood of that lily has is all we see are servants we see people catering to her we see all of these people at her whim and they're all normal people but you know that she doesn't notice and or know any of them and that's what this is this movie is in service to lily right um, you said that you were going to talk a little bit about like this movie and how it re- relates like to white privilege and stuff like that. Oh yeah. That was basically to the idea of, again, um, as I was just saying earlier with Lily's um, having all of these servants mm-hmm. and everything, it's very, it is not, I noticed from the very beginning, there was this judgment it seemed right. in Amanda's point of view of the way that Lily lives and you could tell that even though they go to the same school, even though they are kind of in the same neighborhood, 
Lily is of a higher scale. We're not talking about the upper middle class. We're talking about the upper, upper middle class here. And that's viewed in the entire tour of the house. That's viewed in the amount of money that's left for Lily between her stepfather. Everything they do, as you said, the chessboard, the father's tennis match, everything about the stepfather's outfit is like as um stereotypical upper echelon as you could be you know he doesn't wear a suit he wears that kind of like um fur vest lacrosse look you know what i'm talking about and uh, i thought that was really important but then also the idea that um i think the drug dealer says it perfect he says the sawdust smells great but you're still in a hamster cage Mm -hmm. and i thought that that was really great this idea of as we said earlier she has gotten kicked out of this privileged school she doesn't have the internship that she thought she would have and she's just expecting life to be a different way and the fact that she doesn't pisses her off and it's not that anyone has actually wronged her it's the mere fact that she's not getting what she feels entitled to that really spurs most of this uh, most of the plot Right. Um, I definitely feel that. I feel like um, that's the whole thing kind of with the stepdad, too, where she's never really had to deal with maybe conflict during her life. And so, like, she has these kind of overdramatic reactions to it, like, oh, I don't really like my stepdad, so I'm going to try to kill him, basically, because he presents conflict in my life rather than trying to resolve it in some way and then like i think the nail in the coffin for her is kind of when they say they're going to send her off to like a boarding school or something like that i believe for troubled girls it's a boarding school for troubled girls right and And what's interesting is at that point we think that they are overreacting but by the end of it you're like no actually that probably was like the best solution (laughs) you know what i mean because at first we think, oh, the stepdad's just being a dick. But now the more we find out, it's like there might be stuff that we're not privy to that's happened before this movie started. Like, we don't know how she is. Like, it might even be like an unreliable narrator type thing because there might be stuff we just didn't see before this movie started that, um, like, you know, it's just like she didn't get this. She didn't get that. Um, she might, like again, we might just be seeing things through her eyes. I feel like that's how the movie definitely starts is that we're seeing Amanda through her eyes. We're seeing the stepdad through her eyes. And then only towards the middle, I think we start seeing things for what they really are and just realize how- I think what's really interesting about that- Oh, so sorry. Oh, no, no, you're good. Um, but you broke up, so I couldn't hear you were still talking. I apologize. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I'll just finish my point real quick. It's just like towards that middle point or towards actually the end, you don't see like how deep down and like just how much of a bad person she really is. Like at first, the most you could say it's like, oh, she's a little bit inconsiderate. She had to have someone pay her to basically hang out with this girl, which is kind of messed up, but whatever. And then you kind of see things for what they are. And then you're like, oh crap. Like she's not a good person. She's probably like way worse than the stepdad. And like the stepdad's kind of a dick. But at the same time, like, he's not plotting to murder somebody. So, I mean, like, how bad can he actually be? One of the things that I was going to say to reinforce what we've been talking about and, and how Lily has been using people is, or, sorry, this idea of entitled white womanhood is how often 
um, Lily weaponizes the police. Like, she's constantly threatening, threatening to call the cops on people, and she's constantly using their own record with, you know, against them. And that I thought that was really important. There's this scene where they are with the drug dealer and they have just hit him over the back of his head and he's bleeding and they're like what are you talking about we're just two white girls who happen to be talking to a drug dealer who come from very good families with very good lawyers and i thought the idea of her weaponizing the law this way only further proved my idea of her using her white womanhood to kind of get through life and then the final note is a lot of it is basically seen and reflected in the dynamic between the drug dealer but the drug dealer character at the end when they meet up you would think that she's trying to reconnect but she's like shouldn't you be doing your job shouldn't you be taking your the keys and being the valet (laughs) at this point in time she has no real interest in catching up or doing anything other than using him as another servant. I think to your point about white privilege, and it's interesting because I don't even think there's a non-white character in the movie, question mark. There is one black girl who goes to their school and she's the one who's telling the story of uh, what happened with the horse. Yeah, there's not really any (laughs) non-white characters in this movie. But what you bring up is a very important aspect of white privilege is specifically white female privilege, which is the assumption of innocence, which I think is what this movie plays with the mm-hmm. entire time. As an audience, we have the assumption that the character we're being introduced to, and to your point, the narrative that we're hearing is from someone that we can trust. The point of view that we're getting is from someone that we can trust, someone who seems fairly reasonable compared to this kind of odd quirky best friend that we're seeing that we don't really know what to think of the entire time we're looking at the wrong person the kind of quirky one almost as if i were running a supermarket and i were looking at the black person instead of the white person who's actually robbing me it's that same concept with taking skin color out of it but still applying those same levels of of privilege and just that feeling that you know this woman who is very put together all of the time wearing pearls wearing you know pristine clothes has her hair together makeup perfect all the time um that she really is putting on the show that we're buying into as the movie goes on and we realize that and it's just it's very cool very almost gone girl this movie did anyone else get gone girl vibes yes yes that's way similar to what i was getting than heather's american psycho i i got gone girl vibes of someone who is so like methodical in her evilness and aware of not only her actions but the world around her um one of the things that you mentioned just with like the narrative i made note in the very beginning that lily has this kind of like rigid pristine proper look to her but as the movie goes on i see that that is all a facade because Again, she understands that in order to behave the way she does, she has to look the part. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, question. Did anyone else think the two main characters were the same person there for like the chapter two, <laughs> like the middle section that this was like a fight club thing, that they were the same? No one? No, no. I didn't, but I like it. I, I, yeah. I didn't think that, but that would have been very interesting. Because I felt like her 
like there was because there was just so much one-on-one dialogue with them and very little outside input i mean as the movie goes on you kind of see more of it but i really thought like oh is this just a fight club thing is this in you know her kind of conversating with her crazier side the id versus the ego all of that bullshit um obviously that doesn't really play in, play out but there was a second there where i really thought that i was going to uh see a fight club situation yeah, I could kind of um, see that. Like, that's interesting. I didn't actually consider that either, but that would have been really cool. I actually misremembered the ending of this movie whenever I watched it because I'd watched it years ago and I thought it ended slightly differently. One of the things, um, I don't know if I'd change it because this movie is great, but I thought it would have been more interesting if she, just to further the point and kind of just, I guess, drive the knife deeper if instead of like her revealing to her hey like I poisoned your or you know I put this stuff in your drink if she had just done it and like not said anything I think that would have I don't know if that would have changed any of the context but it is interesting that she told her at all I'm gonna say yeah that she kind of threw it in her court I actually think that again this is part of her manipulation I think that she it was a false confession. It was kind of like, a, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I was going to do this thing because, again, what she does at that point in time is she gets um, Amanda's consent to move forward with it. Exactly. You know what I mean? So there's so, not that sloppy, like, Amanda has a conflicting story afterwards. Exactly. And, like, there's kind of, like, a pushback. She it, had to let her in on it so that she could play along. Exactly. It's problem solving. And that's what I, that was when I was like, oh, this bitch is genius because what she did, (laughs) what she got her to consent to this narrative, um, because you're right, she could have not said anything, but I think also in a way what she, she had done it already, but what she needed to kind of give her the freedom and the allowance to do it. Um, was when she asked Amanda if she was faking it when her father died. And Amanda was like, yeah, that was all just a technique. And then that let her sever any ties of kind of like emotional weight. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, if I think she probably would have felt somewhat guilty doing this to someone who was a good friend and there for her during a time of need but to realize that amanda was faking it even then she was like all right well then if you can be that detached so can i right it's almost like she kind of like once she had that like you said it's kind of just like it gave her more justification and that's actually i didn't realize that 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 was part of her um plan too like that's actually a really good point um just to kind of do that because yeah you're right it would be super sloppy um i know that she definitely probably also played on um she developed a relationship with her again kind of you know becoming her friend so she'd have a scapegoat but also i think she definitely banked on amanda having an attachment to her as a friend and viewing their friendship as real and her actually caring and like just you know kind of um probably banked on her because anyone that wasn't like I think that Amanda is actually more of a sociopath than anything I know that's not what she calls herself during this movie but I definitely got like that feel from her and um the whole thing of like oh she's emotionally detached and so she built but sees things more logically like someone who thought like you know actually at 
more empathy and emotions would probably, you know, hear her plan or whatever and just not go along with it. I mean, they even try it with the the drug dealer who is, isn't really shit in the, in the, and at the end. But um, I think she definitely banks on that. I think that this was calculated, like you said. I think that she, um, like, planned this whole thing out to a T, and you kind of see that through the through the course of the movie. Would you, and I think oh, – oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think what I love that you brought up is this difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. I think you're right that Amanda's a sociopath in the sense that she doesn't have that empathy and she can't really relate to people the way that she feels that she should or that society says that she should, whereas – Lily is a psychopath. She is methodic and she can understand people's emotions, but she uses those emotions or in Amanda's case, lack of emotions against them. Right. Exactly. Um, what did y'all think of this was uh, Anton Yelchin's uh, last role. What did y'all think of it? I'm so glad you brought that up because, <laughs> okay. So I have to say, I'm a big fan of, uh, I, I don't, I don't even know if I say his name right. Alton Yelchin. Alton? Anton? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I'm a very big fan of his. I was a big fan of his since he had a, he was a kid actor and he was in a movie called Kiss the Girls with Morgan Freeman or uh, Along Came a Spider. One of those like detective movies. I saw him when he was really young and I just happened to follow him ever since. He was in an indie movie called Like Crazy, which is a phenomenal. He of course is in the Star Trek series and he just, um, he's in an amazing independent horror movie called Green Room about a punk band that gets held hostage by the KKK. Awesome movie. Um, he just chooses really interesting roles. And, you know, I knowing this was his last one, knowing how tragic his death was, um, you know, it was really sad watching it, but I just, I, it's, it was like um, seeing Heath Ledger and the Joker. Like every time I saw his performance, I kept wondering like, wow, like we really lost a really great actor that could have done some really interesting things going forward. Right. Can you guys give me one second? I'm sorry. Logan's being a mess and I need to put him in his crate. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm so sorry. But yeah. Um, my Definitely my first exposure to him. Like you mentioned, Star Trek. That was my first exposure to him. I was like, who's this guy? It's all like acting like goofy. I, I forgot that he was in Terminator Salvation too as uh, John Connor. Well, you know what? A lot of people forgot about Terminator Salvation, which is probably a good thing since that movie is terrible. There are two good Terminator movies and that's it. I don't want to get into it, but I, I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> right. Um, I definitely like, he's kind of like, it, you said Heath Ledger. I kind of see him as like, kind of like a James Dean type too, I guess, like just yeah. gone too soon kind of vibe. Very, very versatile. Like just seeing him just like go from Star Trek for me, Star Trek to the Terminator Salvation. All right. We were doing so good for so long, and then I guess I just wasn't paying attention to him long enough, and he got into the car. <laughs> <laughs> refused to let it go, so I was like, all right, well, you lost your time. <laughs> but, you know. but yeah, um, we were just talking about how Anton Yelchin, like, just, he's so versatile as an actor, and just, um, like, seeing him go, like, just so like different roles from like this drug dealer to like I'd seen him in Terminator Salvation and then Star Trek and just how gifted of an actor he was and just like from hindsight now because I used to watch movies not really noticing actors and stuff like that when I was younger just more watching it for the story but now just watching this this is like an actor's movie 
pretty much like oh, you even see it with um olivia cook who plays amanda just going i remember seeing that moment in the trailer where she does the technique and just that moment right there sold me i'm like wow that's amazing i need to see this movie both of these actresses do a phenomenal job i love um the actress that plays lily is anna gosh the f- the main actor in this movie. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Oh, that was um, fine. I've seen her in other things. She was in Split. She was in. She is um, in Split. This movie called The Witch. This horror movie that's really good. Um, but I've just seen her in other things. But I just feel like everyone gives a fantastic performance. And one of the things that me and Siege talk about all this time, all the time, is this thing called the Bechtel test, which is a you know a measuring uh, stick for how female characters talk to each other in movies. If a fem- if two females talk to each other at all for about something other than a man the movie passes the Bechdel test. And you would be surprised how many movies don't pass that. Whereas this movie, there's, I mean, there's so much dialogue about so many things that I just feel like it really did, uh, like as an, a, an actress, I would imagine getting really excited about a role like this. Right, definitely. Um, by the way, her name is, I just looked it up. Hold on one second. It is Anya Taylor-Joy. Anna Taylor-Joy, there it is. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah, she does a really great job. I think that your eyes are very expressive. They are, and I think, as you said, you mentioned her in Split, and then also in The Witch. Again, she plays; she has like this look of innocence to her, which is what uh, really helps her uh, in these roles. Because, as you said, when you see her, you automatically um, assign this kind of innocence, this doe-eyed. Um, freedom to her. Totally, Sorry. totally. Right, it's fine. But um, yeah, I guess uh, that's all my thoughts on the movie. Did you guys have anything else before we wrap it up here? I was just gonna say that you you guys mentioned for me this being uh, Anton's last movie kind of made it even more creepy to me. Like it's like this movie has an eeriness to it. Uh, as you said, there's kind of like this constant foreboding in the background because you don't know what's going to happen but you do know that something is and knowing that this was his final movie it even feels kind of more eerie in that sense because uh his character is just treated so negatively and again it's um the whole purpose of his character is that he can easily be discarded so to find out that he this is his final movie uh kind of really drove that point home for me yeah, the only other thing I really wanted to say about the movie was just that I think I read online, I didn't, again, I didn't see the trailer, I walked into this movie completely blind, but afterwards I did read that this is the director's movie, like, feature debut. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have to say that, like, this movie, de- like, the direction, directing a movie that's filled with tension is very difficult to do. You know what I mean? And so to hold suspense, to have those moments of quiet where you're kind of on the edge of your seat, to make these dialogue sequences seem suspenseful, all of that's very tricky and hard to do. And I felt like this director just like 
understood the genre. He, impl- he, he included a ton of really cool visualizations that we saw throughout the movie, one of which was the scrubbing of the blood that felt very Lady Macbeth. I loved the, um, you know, the, the rowing machine, having that telltale heart, kind of like that noise in the, in the head that's driving them crazy. All of it felt like this person understood suspense and thriller and incorporated a lot of things, even Heather's with the whole like drinking poison. Like he just understood the movie he was trying to make. And I'm just really excited to see what else this director does. Right, exactly. I haven't looked into any other movies he's done, but I'm definitely interested to also see um, it. I know it, I looked it up to see if there was any trivia online. I didn't find any, but I do know that this movie was one of those types of movies that was loved by critics, but like no one went and saw it. So like, that's unfortunate, but um, I would definitely highly recommend this movie. It is one of those movies that um, if you haven't heard of before, I would recommend going in like TC did, just going in cold. Don't watch the trailers, just check out the movie. That way you can be fresh and kind of just watch it as it unfolds. Cause I definitely feel like the trailer does ruin some big plot points in the movie. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed having you guys on. Um, I will put like a link to you guys podcast Brummie's world and uh, movie makeover and uh, yeah, no problem. And hopefully we can um, at some point, like I'd love to be on an episode of Brummie's world or just movie makeover or whatever, because this is definitely like having a big crossover like this, definitely meeting you guys. has been awesome. Um, And just hearing your thoughts, like this is such a great movie and just like dissecting this movie with you. It's been like really fun. So absolutely. We would love to have you on. I mean, I think the mere fact that you would recommend a movie like this um, and and that we would both get so much out of it or like, it's such a great topic of conversation, both very well. And we would love to have you on either podcast. So feel free to join us. um, And you know, recommend the episodes and or movies that you find intriguing. Totally. And yeah. I, and just thank you for recommending the movie. I've literally never heard of this movie and I really enjoyed it. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we tend to like, you know, like we said, we review a 90s sitcom. So sometimes there's meat on the bones, but never this much. And so it's always interesting to really talk about these larger concepts with um, Siege and now you, Alex, you know, kind of getting into, you know, what makes good films good. And I, I love these conversations. So anytime you want to have us back i'm sure we'd love to to hop on absolutely i want to say a few things and i'm so sorry that i'm going out of order but i was just reminded of we were talking about the footnotes and what makes a really good movie you had mentioned kind of the different murder weapons that we get and i feel like this this movie was like a game of clue with the lamp and the gun and the you know like they were just all of these traditional weapons were used and were shown at some point in time and i think i remember being like oh is it going to be the knife is it going to be this is it going to be that they're they just show us so many different tools and weapons that could be used um that you never really know which which ending you're going to get um and then also this movie uh, talking about privilege and female privilege um, uh, at the foremost the stepfather constantly calls her princess and um, just a little I looked up the footnotes of this the last movie that they're watching when she goes and commits the murder is called the little princess um, which again is just reinforcing this idea of uh, privilege uh, and 
female privilege at, at, at that. So these were just little things that uh, I wanted to point out because you're right, this movie had so much meat on its bones and we don't always get that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I guess uh, I'll just wrap it up. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm Siege. And I am Tony Curtis. And this has been What Mean. <laughs>